Well, hello everybody. It's G. Nathan, and it's time for Crosstown Conversations. And um, we are going to have some interesting folks on the show today, and kind of the usual mix of news and arts. Um, and we're going to start out with a little bit of the news part, and um, it's going to be uh, your part, so to speak, as well. So um, Julie Schwamm Harris is on the line, and... You know, she's got a variety of titles, but the one I'd like to use for her is really political citizen. She's been at it ever since I've known her. And, and um, Julie, when did we first meet? We first met, I believe, when I was working for Bark Boreal. Um, when he was mayor, I was the um, head of uh, public advocacy, and we worked with citizens to try to link them up to either services within city government or outside of city government, just trying to help them do what they needed to do. So it yeah. was in that administration. Yeah, but no, ma'am, it was way before that. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to remember, um, who did you work for uh, before that? Well, I was a I was a mother and an activist for quite a few years before that. Maybe so it was through the IWI. Just on the trail of trying to get good policy passed to the citizens. Well, I, I think it might have been an association with the IWO. I'm not sure. But at any rate, now you do a lot of work with the IWO. And, and one of the things that you do is try to make sure that we get our two little feet um, out of our houses and into the voting booths, whether it's on Election Day. Um, and we have yet another election coming up. And I, I think it's kind of off pe- people's radar, even though there are a lot of television spots running um, so many people don't really watch television anymore that I kind of felt it was important to let everybody know that, as I said in my copy in my newsletter, it ain't over till it's over, and it's and we, it's not over. We have um, an election coming up on December 10th, and if I'm not mistaken, I, I think I recall you telling me that you were going to be out on the streets today. Yes, well, I've been doing uh, door-to-door canvassing as a volunteer with the uh, Foster Campbell campaign. I believe that Foster Best represents what, you know, the people of this state need, working men and women. He's, take, he's never been afraid to take on special interests, and so I'm going to be doing some canvassing this afternoon if the rain holds off, um, as I did over the weekend, and it's early voting time. So it's a, it's a good time for people to um, vote between now and uh, Saturday at an early voting site, and there are four of them if you want me to List them, but, yeah, let's um, let's and do then it. Again, on and and uh, they'll have an opportunity okay. to vote for our And Julie, let me just caution you that um, uh, we we need to talk about voter registration and a little bit less about Mr. Campbell, who I understand your commitment to. But I don't want to have to um, do a balancing act on this. So well, let's just make sure we get our folks out to vote. That's um, what we're talking about. So um, yeah, November 26th through December 3rd. Where are the locations? Well, the locations in Orleans Parish for people who live in New Orleans are down in City Hall, um, the Algiers Courthouse on Morgan Street, the Sheffmanter Voting Machine Warehouse, which is the 8800 block of Sheffmanter Highway, and the Lake Vista Community Center. And those hours are 8.30 to 6 p.m. every day this week through Saturday, so you can vote on Saturday. And then in Jefferson, it's either on the East Bank in the Yenny Building 
or um, in Kenna Rivertown in uh, the East Bank building on Minor Street, or in the West Bank, you can vote at 5001 West Bank Expressway. And I think they have the same hours, and it'll be open also through Saturday. So it's a really good time to vote. And then you have to wait a week, in, or you can vote in your local polling precinct on Election Day. Uh, which, again, is December 10th. So let's talk about you know, what this election is for, because, uh, again, I think people were certainly focused on the on the big one when we had that um, you know, political soap opera running that I guess we're stuck with now for another four years. It, it's, it's really amazing. But um, so uh, in the meantime, we had a, a U.S. Uh, Senate primary, and a lot of candidates in it, and it boiled down to the two candidates, Foster Campbell um, and what's the other guy's name? <laughs> John Kennedy. Yeah. And, um, and so uh, this is an important election, not only for Louisiana, but uh, certainly um, as it affects the U.S. Senate. And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that U.S. Senate um, aspect of, of why this is such an important vote? Well, the Senate is the place where nominations of a president are confirmed or not confirmed. And in this past, um, in these past few years, the nominations of President Obama have been held up unbelievably long periods of time. And this is for judges and even for some of his appointees working for him. They have been held up and there's been a lot of, uh, judgeships and things that have not been appointed because uh, the Senate wouldn't let them go through. Now, sometimes when bad appointments are made, you do want the Senate to slow down some of these appointments and to ask the hard questions about the appointees to make sure you're not putting the fox in the hen house. And so it's going to be important that we have a voice, an independent voice, uh, a smart voice, and a voice looking out for Louisiana and the country in the Senate uh, to ask the right questions on these nominations that are going to be coming now from the president-elect when he's president. Exactly. So so that's what I, I wanted to make sure that people understood um, what's in, in the balance here, because, again, it's, it's very important for us in the state. And, um, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to me that so many people got out and vote, voted for um, – uh, Edwards uh, for governor, and then um, when it came to some of the other races, we, we saw it going in the other mm -hmm. direction. That's something I, I still don't quite understand. But um, you know, again, uh, we're, we're dealing with um, Foster Campbell as a Democrat and uh, Kennedy as a Republican, although he was um, a uh, Democrat until not all that long ago. If I mis I don't know how long when he made the change over, as so many did, but. Um, uh, so that's that's where this balance uh, comes into play. Well, and you have to look at, when you look at the issues, it's real easy to look at the issues and look at the parties that support or are against certain issues. And like some of the key issues for an area like New Orleans, um, we have a lot of people who are service workers. They are not making, they are making minimum wage or barely above. And, 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 and only one of these parties is really promoting, pushing, the minimum wage, raising the minimum wage. And so you have to look at that. You have to look at equal pay for women. I mean, the president has, has tried to push equal pay for women. Women make in this state about 65 to 67 cents on the dollar on average. That's not every woman, but on average compared to men. 
and only one of these parties is really pushing that kind of equality and 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 also things like voting rights and um you know access to uh health care there's a party that's pushing it and trying to get it done and there's a party that's pushing against it and saying let's privatize medic uh medicare let's privatize social security let's take away some of the uh, ACA that is broken when it's not really broken. It just needs some tweaks. So there's a real clear choice in this election. And to not vote, it's just, it upsets me because I think people don't realize that as an aggregate, their vote, it's only one, but their vote as part of a larger voice is very, very important. And, and tell me, uh, Julie, um, I, I really don't know that much about how the turnout was, turnout was here in Louisiana in in the president's race. I know that we certainly had a disappointing turnout um, in some African American communities, and we had um, a disappointing turnout among some of the younger people, and even even some of the uh, uh, more uh, kind of moderate folks that we thought would get out to vote didn't. Um, how how did that play out in Louisiana? Well, I, I'll be honest with you. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me. I mean, Louisiana people do to vote, but it's, but when you're dealing with the large numbers of dollars being paid to advertise and to sell what in the presidential race were a lot of lies on one side, and, and, and you know, it's, you need an overwhelming number of voters to say, I am not going to let someone else make this decision for me by not voting, by holding your nose and saying, well, you know, both have flaws or, you know, you're never, you've got to make a choice and there are very clear choices. So the turnout was not terrible. It just, and the, the early voting turnout was good. It was in record numbers, but more people have to see that their, their vote does matter and will have serious implications on whether they get access to health care, whether they get access to a, a living wage and whether the criminal justice laws are, are punitive in a way that hurts whole categories of people as opposed to just keeping us safe from crime, because that's not the way they're set up right now. And I think that um, there probably was a time when people were more uh, proud and felt privileged to be able to make their vote. And I think now, after years of stalemate and, and kind of dysfunction at the national level, um, it, it's harder to get the attention of voters and say your vote really does count and it has um, direct influence on your life because to some extent I, I kind of am sympathetic with, with voters um, who felt that both parties were really not up to par on, on dealing with the underlying economic realities of the times we live in where there's so so much dramatic change and I don't I don't sense that either party was really dealing with the um, the depths of, of the experience of so many um, not just young black men but um, you know older white people everybody this is this is a this is there's no um, there's no escape here from uh, from the the impact and so that vote is 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 directly personally important and not something that's abstract and, and just kind of you know a privilege and something you want to do out of out of you know a sense of citizenship and obligation but because of the direct <clears throat> effects it's going to have on you all right let me just come back uh, for a quick second because I'm going to move on to um, the uh, um, 
pre the early voting. The early voting is November 26th, so that's a little bit gone, but we still have through the 3rd of December, and that's Saturday. And so you can vote on Saturday. And your locations include City Hall, the Algiers okay. Courthouse, the Chef Mentor Warehouse in the 8800 block. Lakefront is where again now? I'm sorry, say that again. And Lake Vista Community Center is Lake the Vista other Community on Center. Spanish Fort. And, and one quick reminder, there are rides available from a nonpartisan nonprofit called the Community Voice. It's a combination of Community Voice and Justice Beyond. So you can get a ride even for early voting if you need it. It can be arranged with you. If you dial 1-800-239-7379, 1-800-239-7379, and they'll work out something with you to try and get you to the to the early voting polls as well as on election day. And I'll, I'll, um, I'll repeat that phone number, um, Julie, before the end of the show. So, again, I thank you for not only coming on the show today, because I know that it was a little uh, tricky for you to do that when you were out in the, out in the field uh, knocking on doors, uh, but also for all your years of public service. You are a model for all of us. And um, y'all honor what she has done and what so many other people do in trying to help us make sure that we have accountable people in public office and get out to vote. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So now that we have, um, we're going to talk um, uh, with 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 Judy. Uh, uh, Judy, are you there? Hello. Hello. Hi, Judy. Yes. Excellent. And Valerie uh, is in the office, uh, in the studio with us. And these folks are going to talk about another kind of citizen commitment that has um, really important ramifications for how we deal with each other. And it's a very exciting project. And um, Judy Rees-Morris is, is really responsible for uh, making it happen. And we have some a special event this Saturday um, coming up. And so I want to hear a lot about that. But um, Judy, let's start out. Tell people about um, the welcome table. Well, thank you very much, Jean, for having me on the show. And sure. I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to talk about the welcome table, New Orleans. This has been a three-year initiative of the mayor's office to bring diverse residents from across our city together to build relationships, talk about the issue of race, and then take their talk and turn it into action uh, by coming up with what we call reconciliation projects. And what we're going to talk about uh, with you today and with the listeners of WBOK is the results of one of those projects. So, and, and um, let's just uh, open and we'll close with this too. Uh, you have an event coming up this Saturday. Yes, yes, there is an event this Saturday. It's at 1 o'clock p.m. Uh, it's a two-part event. Uh, it starts at uh, Landry Walker School in the school's auditorium. Uh, there's going to be a terrific uh, film that's going to be shown that features younger Algiers residents who have interviewed older Algiers residents. And as I mentioned, the welcome table is about uh, bringing diverse people together. So you'll see lots of diversity in uh, the young people who are asking the questions and the older people who are answering the questions. From there, there's going to be a second line uh, to the corner of Mardi Gras Boulevard and Hermosa Street, where a fabulous piece of artwork uh, is going to be unveiled. And I'll let Valerie talk about that. 
All right. Um, uh, let me g come back to uh, that in just a minute with Valerie, but uh, let me go back to the welcome table for a second because um, I think it's a really interesting uh, project and one that um, I'll bet has really contributed to some um, a very special new understandings between people. And since you, I assume, uh, Valerie, as um, I mean, Judy, in putting this together, have experienced many of those sessions, give me some feel for um, some of the, I, I don't know whether revelations is the right word, but just uh, new feelings and ideas and thoughts that have come out of some of the discussions. Well, first let me say that there were hundreds of people who signed up in 2014 to participate in the Welcome Table New Orleans initiative. And throughout 2014, all of 2015, and now all of 2016, we've had people come and go as a part of the process. But what we have ended up with is a total of eight circles that have been meeting in different parts of the city who have consistently every month come together to not only tell their own personal stories about the issues of race and the impact of race, whether it be personally or within institutions and systems, but they have listened to other people's stories. And that is where a lot of enlightenment and a lot of learning has taken place. And what we have seen with all of the reconciliation projects that have come forward is that people are looking for opportunities to find common ground, but that common ground cannot come until there is an acknowledgement of our city's history, of the country's history, and once that acknowledgement of, of all of the evils and the wrongs that have occurred, which are, are plentiful and factual, and we know that they exist, people today are able to look at those facts and look at that history and say, well, none of us alive today built those systems, created those situations, and most of us alive today are actually looking to understand the impact of those systems and those wrongs so that we can move to a better place in the future. And what I've learned uh, from this process, from leading this process, um, and I, I want to state very clearly that the mayor's vision for the Welcome Table New Orleans and much of the other work uh, that we have done here, here in our city. Um, really goes back many, many years. And so we have been talking about this idea of a process that would bring people together who want to tackle this issue, who have the courage, people like Valerie Robinson and many others who have come together over the last three years to really take this issue on. Uh, it took a lot of courage uh, for them to do it and to stick with it. And those are just some of the things that, uh, that I've, I've been able to learn from, from leading this process. You know, I just I want to add a little aside here because uh, Maggie Mullins, who produces this show uh, with me, is very interested in, in the subject of um, post-slavery plantations and, and how they're presented. And um, she wrote a piece that's in our newsletter that we put out in advance of the radio show. And she mentions a novel called Wounds of Returning that help us reconcile with our history, dispel the sanitized myths that go along with the, the kind of hoop skirt plantation uh, tourist experience that too many people um, have had. So I thought I, I really just wanted to capture this, this reference to this book as something that um, underscores the kind of thing you're, you're, you're talking about. Um, but, but for you personally, you know, when I read um, uh, Silva Morial's book, 
Um, that was revealing for me, even though I've known her uh, also, um, as I have you and Valerie for so many years, but to hear her stories uh, about coming up, I mean, you know, as a Yankee, it just never dawned on me that uh, black people would not be allowed in City Park. I mean, that's such a revealing um, personal experience for somebody to have that to just enter the park would be to put themselves at risk from from police action. Well, we know, Jean, and what what I've we've been able to to learn from having these uh, story circle discussions over the last three years uh, is that for African Americans, uh, this is a part of our history. These are facts that are well known. These are stories that have been passed down from generation to generation. For myself, my father, uh, Claude Rees, uh, was a freedom rider during the Civil Rights Movement. And so listening to many of the experiences that he and many of our other uh, great local leaders went through during that time, but, but even, you know, their parents and then their parents' parents and, and all the way back to uh, the beginning of, of when African Americans uh, were brought to this country. We know that for many people of color, these are known stories, but we also have learned that for many uh, Anglo-Americans, these are stories, as you have said, that are new to you, that these are things that you didn't know, you didn't realize, or you didn't understand the, the depth of uh, the extent to which uh, the, the racism and uh, institutional uh, policies that were put in place in order to lift one group up and to, to put another group down. And so what the residents of New Orleans who participated in this initiative have come to know is that when those stories get shared, that is when the education begins, that's when the perspectives are better understood, that's when people quite honestly actually begin to think about wanting to know more and wanting to learn more because what I heard people say in these circles is that, well, if I had known that, you know, I might have thought differently. I might have done right, something differently. Right, right, right. And here's the change. Here's the transformation. Mm -hmm. Now that I do know these things, I have to ask myself the question, and I've got to hold myself accountable. What is it that I can do to make sure that nothing like that happens again or that we can start to turn around those policies and those practices that would keep those kinds of things alive? And that's what I have seen happen in these welcome table circles, uh, that, that, that moment of understanding and, and clarification and clarity that happens uh, that causes people to then start to ask themselves different questions that will take them in different directions. You know, and I can't help but think how, how more important than ever your, um, these, these tables and circles are going to be uh, going forward as we have to... Um, to deal with uh, an administration that <clears throat> it's still really unclear just exactly what they're up to, but um, the, the appointments that have come in so far seem to really underscore some of the rhetoric that we heard during the campaign. So um, we all have to continue to push forward in a positive way and, um, and, and open those communications. I think that if there's anything that this election really said is that there's been huge gaps in communications between people. So I think what you're doing is really important. Let me, let me bring Valerie into the conversation um, and, and understand again a little bit more about what's going to happen actually this Saturday. Okay. Um, before I, I, I just get a little background on our project, um, as one of the circles, we selected um, 
something that was art-based, and we did that because we just kind of through talking it through and what we might leave as a kind of a legacy of what we had been through and what people learned and all of those things, we really wanted it to have an art component because, I mean, art, as you know, I mean, speaks to people in different ways, and it inspires people in different ways. So we thought that was really important. So, um, and this was shortly after Prospect 3 and Brandon Odoms had his big Exhibit B project in Algiers. He's from Algiers. And, um, and you know, so, I mean, I was like, I, I was just gung-ho to like have something like that, not realizing we would be able to get Brandon, which um, thanks to the Kellogg Foundation with some funding, we were able to hire him to to work this program with high school students. And the first part of it was to interview older people who had lived in Algiers most of their life or their whole lives or, you know, ways that they could tell their stories like we were talking about. And that was black people and white people. And um, as most people know, Algiers has always been fairly integrated as a community. Mm. Um, so, and, and that goes back to the fact that this was part of John McDonough's plantation and where we're going to put the art is on a piece of property that was part of his plantation where he lived with his slaves whom he freed after they could either buy their freedom or um, or he he let them go free after at his death and that that area was often referred to as Freetown because most of those people stayed in the community and it's been referred to now as McDonoughville which Gretna has part of and we still have part of in the Algiers community so What's going to happen on Saturday is that we start out at L.B. Landry High School, as um, Judy said, and we're going to see the documentary film um, that these students, the, of the footage that they took, the interviews that they had uh, with these people and, and these people telling their stories. And some of them are, you know, what you would expect somebody to tell you about living in the 40s or 50s, but some of it's very revealing. Um, and so after that, we'll have a second line over to the site that's on Mardi Gras Boulevard, which runs parallel between the bridges. Um, and then we will... Parallel to the river. To, yeah, to the river. Well, mm -hmm. not actually, no. The, it's on the ground part before you get to the river. Right, but I mean, it just yeah, yeah. runs so, parallel basically to yeah. the river. So, mm -hmm. um, so at that point, we will actually unveil this mural that is uh, 24 feet wide and will be a permanent installation there um, for the community. What, what's, what's on the mural? Um, I saw it when it was in progress. The students, again, have been creating this piece as they interpreted those interviews. I love that you engaged the students Yeah, that I, we thought That's that really was also, yeah, yeah, that was very, very important to us mm -hmm. because, first of all, we wanted to educate them mm -hmm. about the history. A lot of them you know, just don't know. Kids just don't pay attention to that kind of stuff. So I think it was enlightening for them to learn things that they didn't know about and, uh, you know, and then be able to interpret that into a, a piece of art. Mm -hmm. So um, it's a it's a beautiful, very, I mean, you, you can tell that Brandon's involved. <laughs> it, it looks, you know, like his work. But it's uh, two. Which, by the way, just for, for the audience who's not familiar with his work, is very powerful. It's very dramatic. It's very big. It's very colorful. But I think the most important thing about it is that it's very, there's an emotional um, content to it. And it comes through, even though it's in this large, these large scale yes. murals. Yeah. So, I mean, it features um, a few of the 
outlines of the faces of the people that were interviewed. Um, it features the bridges, which can be interpreted in many different ways. And, um, and, and it, it also has, part of it has a very diverse group of people who are holding hands, creating another kind of a bridge. It is very powerful and very emotional, and I think everybody's going to love it, and we're just so excited that um, this okay, is actually our first public art in Algiers. We've been trying for a long time, so this is it's great, and we just, you know, we've worked really hard on this as a, as a team. Um, there are uh, like six people in our circle. We started out with more, like Judy said, some fell off, and we've been working on this now for over a year, so we're pretty excited about it. That sounds, it just it absolutely sounds fascinating and, and fabulous. But, Judy, what are some of the other um, tables, uh, some of the other circles that have come out of this? Well, there are a number of really amazing projects uh, that have either already been uh, given to the city of New Orleans, meaning not city government, but to the people of New Orleans, uh, and a few more still to come. Believe it or not, the Algiers project, uh, the beautiful mural, uh, which is incredibly, incredibly powerful um, and very, very um, attention-grabbing, obviously. Uh, but that will not be the only mural that is a part of uh, the Welcome Table New Orleans. There is a mid-city circle who also will be unveiling uh, a mural that was done much like this one, uh, community-informed, young people, older people, uh, diverse people who met over the course of many weeks uh, to talk about the issue of race and the impact of race. And um, again, a Prospect 3 artist who works very closely with uh, the Arts Council worked with uh, the young people to come up with uh, a mural that's going to be uh, on the side of the Lehman Park pool uh, along the Lafitte Greenway. And so that is um, another project. We've had uh, a film series uh, at Tulane University, a three-part film series that was really, really incredible. And I think went a long way to helping people who are not familiar with issues of race and equity uh, to really begin to understand uh, that these are very serious, long-standing issues that we have got to, as a city, address. If we do not figure out how to address these issues and make some progress on them, we will not reach our full potential as a city. And we have a tremendous opportunity, as the mayor points our attention to our 300th anniversary in 2018, to not look not only look back for the last 300 years, but to really do some visioning about the next 300 years. And so this is the time, this is the opportunity to look at our full history, because once we look at it and once we begin to work together, we can then get to a space that none of us have been to. This is the new space that we aspire to, which is a place where we have acknowledged to the past, where we have begun to uh, address and redress issues that need to be addressed, and then we have an opportunity to, to lock in together and figure out how we're going to create the future that all of us want. Uh, we've also had uh, youth symposiums. We've had two youth symposiums. This was the Central City Circle uh, Uptown that brought 
diverse young people, fifth and sixth graders, from uh, Newman and McGee uh, Renew uh, Charter School, uh, Sylvania Williams uh, Charter School, brought them all together to meet one another, first of all, and to then have youth discussions about some of the issues that are facing our city and to get their vision for the kind of city that they'd like to see and the kind of city that they'd like to live in as they get older. That was really enlightening and really, really inspiring uh, because unlike uh, those of us who are older, younger people find it much easier uh, to come together and they can look past each other's differences. In many instances, they don't even see the differences uh, and they really relate to one another uh, as one human being to, to another uh, for the most part. And so that was really, really, uh, really fascinating. We've had uh, the New Orleans East Circle, uh, which includes uh, many members of our Vietnamese community, do a genealogy project. They all decided to uh, work with uh, Ancestry.com to have their uh, genealogy histories done and then discuss their histories. Uh, There were many, many surprises uh, and lots of points for conversation and dialogue. We filmed that, and so soon there will be a, a screening so that people uh, will have a chance to see uh, the results of those genealogy tests uh, and to hear the kind of discussion and dialogue that ensued afterwards. So there have been some really tremendous, tremendous projects. We've got uh, historical marker projects uh, that are also included um, and a a number of other efforts that are really uh, powerful. One of the the, uh, one, much like our outside murals, uh, we've got an equity circle that the Carrollton Circle did. Uh, interestingly enough, they chose, although they met in Carrollton uh, for over a year, they chose the mid-city uh, area uh, to have their equity circle built. This will be a permanent seating area where families and friends uh, and strangers uh, who will hopefully later become friends will be able to sit outside and talk to one another and get to know one another uh, and bring their families out uh, to interact with one another. Um, And so that particular circle uh, thought that it was important to have um, a a space where people could come to, and I suspect that uh, sometime next year and in the coming years, uh, people will uh, program around uh, the idea of a space where people who want to find common ground can actually find one another. And so um, there have just been some tremendous shows of of work that have come from residents from across the city. Uh, These were their ideas. They came up with the ideas informed by their experience uh, as a part of this process. As Valerie mentioned, uh, the initiative was generously funded by, generously and fully funded by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation uh, for the course of three years. And although the initiative, the formal initiative, is winding down uh, at the end of this year, there have been so many efforts that I believe that will continue to live on beyond the Welcome Table New Orleans initiative. And, and that to me is one of the sure signs of success. When people want to continue meeting and when new partners uh, come together, when people find each other who didn't know each other before uh, and they want to continue the work, uh, that to me is is what our city needs. And and that's really a testimony to the importance of uh, getting some of these kinds of projects launched and, 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 and funded and 
and on the ground and working, and it's uh, it's really a tribute to you and, and to all the people who have been running the various uh, circles. So I, I thank you um, as a citizen of New Orleans for what you've been doing. And I urge folks to come out on Saturday because I think this is going to be a kick. And, Valerie, just give us the specifics one more time. We're going to wrap up and move on to another part of the show. We will start at L.B. Landry High School, which is on L.B. Landry uh, Drive and Boulevard, I think. But um, that will be at 1 o'clock, and that will be to view the film. And then we will second line to the site on Mardi Gras Boulevard. So we hope you can come out for or part of it, or all of it, or, you know, or just for the second line, we'll have fun. And let me just say how much I appreciate that you guys integrated arts into this so much, because um, that, of course, is, um, I think, the future of New Orleans is our creative community. I can't say it enough times. And yes, you know, <laughs> you're, you're, you are well-known, and we should thank you for uh, the many years uh, in, in your service to the city of New Orleans, particularly through uh, the creative economy uh, for, for all that you've done, Jean. So thank you for that. Thank you. And um, that's terrific, guys. Really a great, great project. And um, y'all get out there on Saturday. All right, folks, now we're going to talk about yet more arts um, initiatives that are happening in the city and um, uh, something that's going to happen on Friday night, which is going to be the closing of a show that um, I'm very proud of. It it was actually curated um, at the Myrtle Banks building for the Creative Alliance of New Orleans by um, a, a, a wonderful gal, Megan Young, who works with the Prospect folks. She's deeply involved in making sure that all the satellite programs get lined up for Prospect 4 that's coming up in November, November through February. And um, so she helped us put out an artist call um, for people from around the city and in conjunction with the anniversary of the Creative Spaces program of Cano up at the Myrtle Banks uh, building. And so today we have with us two of the artists who are, uh, whose work is, is uh, shown in that exhibition. And I'm sorry to see it go. I mean, it, it's really, it's quite a beautiful show. It's very warm. It's very colorful. It's, a lot of it is very down home. You have abstract, figurative. It's such a mix of work. And um, we have with us Charles Lovell and Nora Lovell. They are obviously a married, well, maybe not obviously, but they are a married couple. Uh, but they have a, a different, a totally different approach to their creative work. And um, they also work administratively um, in, in, uh, in, in the city's um, art, art uh, community. And um, so I'm going to let you talk. Let them talk a little bit about what they've done with this show. And and I'm curious to hear your views on some of the other work that was shown. So let's sort of encompass both your own work as well as the work of some of the other artists that are there uh, to the extent that you can remember. And I'm sure you were in and out of the show. But So, Charles, tell me a little bit about the work that you did. Well, uh, my work was uh, two photographs of baby dolls. And uh, I have been photographing the cultural traditions of New Orleans from the back Now, streets. by baby dolls, we're talking about the marching group, not um, right. um, actual dolls. <laughs> Indeed, yeah. No, yeah. they're the women who dress yeah. up as baby dolls for right. the second We actually parade. had one of, those, one of the oldest uh, here with us a few shows ago. Go ahead. And, uh, but uh, I have gotten really uh, almost uh, a decade of photographing the cultural traditions of New Orleans, and I've been really excited to... Uh, to 
expand on my photography. Last year I started becoming a full-time photographer last summer, and uh, so I'm really excited about all the vitality and energy of the arts in New Orleans, and I love what's happened in the Aretha Castle Haley corridor, arts corridor, with you. Your gallery is absolutely beautiful. You've had wonderful exhibitions Thank there. You. The Pelican Bomb has happened across the street. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I've been uh, really Ashe. happy yeah. to be part of Ashe, and I've had three mm-hmm. uh, exhibitions at Ashe and had my work at the Pelican Bomb mm-hmm. and just love the vitality of the So O.C. Haley Boulevard has been an important venue for you for your work. It, it has in How this last yeah. year because mm-hmm. I was in three shows this mm. year at Ashe and okay. in the, the Pelican Bomb X Gallery also. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's been amazing what's happening up there. And, and, and you know, I, I don't think there are a lot of people who recognize and know that it's happening, but there's still plenty of people who really don't know. And the first Fridays is such a great, way to become familiar with what's happening and we have one of those first Fridays this coming Friday night mm-hmm. that's kind of a six to nine thing it's and cocktails are served and food's available especially the Dryads Market has one of my favorite bars in this city it's, yeah, it's, really it's just I don't know what yeah. it is about that bar I just love it the bartenders are a kick mm-hmm. the um, the cocktails are uh, uh, lots of fun so you get your cocktail you have a guy you know, get kind of juiced up, and then you go up and look at the art, and maybe you see it in a different way. Yeah, I would, I would especially encourage anyone who's not been out to that space yet. Um, the, the Myrtle Banks Art Space and the Dryas Market is really wonderful, and um, it's, it's both a great space for artists to be able to show their work because it's professionally lit. It's, it's beautifully, um, the show's beautifully curated by, by Megan Young and, um, and installed, and so it's a pleasure to see it. You were um, speaking about sort of the different kinds of work that are in the show. I think it's in a way typical of how wonderfully untypical New Orleans is in terms of the kind of work that you see. I mean, when you have somebody who, who curates well, it just, it's its such a variety of, um, of people working in and, and it was practices. a wide open call. You yes, know, we yeah. really did not curate it. We didn't select people. We just put it out there. Yeah. And so it was really curious to, uh, to, and interesting to see what came back. And, you know, Judy Morrison and um, uh, Valerie Robinson were previously just talking about you know, bringing diversity of people together to work. And I think that show also mm-hmm. really represented a very diverse um, range of work. What about your work? Um, my work for that show, um, I, I tend to, to usually work in series, and that was part of um, a series of 12 paintings that were based loosely on 12th century A.D. Um, anonymous poems, uh, riddle poems. And um, and in each one of the, the original poems, you would have a some sort of utilitarian object querying the reader as to what its identity was, but it was sort of a very much in, in two spaces kind of expressing a kind of a double condition. And I tend to always be drawn towards that. I use those... Um, those anonymous poems is kind of a, a jumping-off place to, to get at perhaps a more kind of contemporary philosophical double condition that we, we find ourselves in. So, so you really kind of um, link the human condition yeah. from centuries ago it, with the human condition today. Yeah, history is always a hook for me, and sometimes it's, it's far off, and sometimes it's very you know, close history. So work that I'm doing now is sort of more kind of in almost like space of my own childhood, so maybe 30 years ago I might be pulling back from. So Why, why is history so important to you? Um, I am really interested in the past, but I find that um, it's sort of its way with some distance that we tend to always be able to come back and understand things about ourselves, and that and in the process of trying to understand and so much to rewrite and translate the past, it, 
we, we sort of get at interesting things that are usually going on in the current moment. Too. I couldn't agree with you more, and I've always been a little bit of a history mm -hmm. buff myself. When I um, studied in, in both uh, my undergraduate uh, years, but also some ancillary years, I didn't ever chase a master's. I was a little bit more of a girl of the streets yeah. than I was of the uh, classrooms. Well, I mean, just you all but immediately get in that space of seeing what we didn't always understand at the time, too, what got missed, um, what got completely um, mistaken, and so that there's always kind of an interesting place to get back to also to, to see what, how we can see things differently. So the two areas of history that most fascinate me have always been the ancient history. Mm -hmm. So because when, you, when you're looking at ancient history, you're really sort of pulling back and looking at an empire, and from beginning to end, and how it rose, how it peaked, mm -hmm. how it fell, and, and those are so instructive for us to understand. Right. And, and when you, I actually included in our newsletter this week an article that was in the New York Times about um, kind of the, the, the concerns about the, um, the survival of democracy right. and, and, and how right now it's really under threat and is being um, uh, challenged by a tendency, I think, for a kind of an impatience mm -hmm. that is, is developing, obviously, in our country, but in, in so many European countries as well, and, uh, uh, and, and always immigration throughout history. If you look at history, right, right. the merging of cultures from when, in, whether it was invasions or just, um, you know, a natural migration of people, always is a challenge to the order that was there before and, and how people deal with it and, and what its impact was yeah. is, is so instructive for the present. I think, too, I mean, even whether or not your work has um, overt political content, just just the, the practice of making art daily, I think, is like an act of voting daily, that you, you register your presence. You know, that there's a, um, I think, perhaps maybe now, in our particular political moment more than ever, there's a kind of a, you know, a place for arts and arts communities to really... Again, whether or not you're actively doing political work, but just the, in part that community aspect. And you know, if you look historically, in, in even in oppressive regimes, that's how that really ends up being the, kind of the lasting voice or legacy of, of people going through difficult times. So the article that I, I just was looking for it in my newsletter, and it, it was the title is "How Stable Are Democracies? Warning Signs Are mm -hmm. Flashing Red." The author is Amanda Taub, and I, I believe mm -hmm. it was literally. I think maybe it was in yesterday's paper as opposed to today, New York Times. Everybody who listens to my show knows that I'm <laughs> a, a, a total uh, junkie and addict for um, stories in the New York Times. It's just so instructive. And as they, their slogan that they have on their online now, so much as journalism really matters. Right. And uh, especially when um, we have a president that likes to tweet about how much he hates the media. Um, so, Charles, how, how did you develop your focus on the um, – the, the cultural life of New Orleans. Are you from here originally? Uh, no. I'm, Where are you from? Uh, I was uh, born in Chicago. and uh, Chicago we is here. kind of a place where some New Orleanians migrated to. We moved here in 2008 from Taos, New Mexico. And, ah. uh, it was a... That's an interesting switch. It, it sure was, um, yeah. <laughs> I, as uh, for almost five years, I was the director of the Newcomb Art Gallery, and when I, I just started... You did some beautiful shows up there, too. Really beautiful going shows. going to Second Lines. I had stumbled into a few, and then I got really serious got about hooked. it. To yeah. where now, every week or every Sunday, I'm out there photographing for as long as I can make it on, on a given day. So. so you're familiar with Jules Kahn's work, aren't you? 
Yes, and uh, so you've you've I, picked up the baton. Well, I ex- I received a grant from the Jazz and Heritage Foundation to do an exhibition, which is right now at the Jazz and Heritage Foundation Gallery through mm-hmm. December sixteenth, and it has. Michael Smith and Jewel Kahn's work and mm-hmm. nine other Those were two camp followers of the musical uh, Life of New Orleans, yeah. Right. So, so yeah, but I can't I help it when you say you're following every second line. Of course, that was what uh, Jules did, and so I, I can imagine you as, the, as, uh, as, a, as having accepted the baton. Well, I'm, uh, there are some other fantastic photographers out there working in uh, I ch- selected for this exhibition seven others that were contemporary oh, photographers, wow. uh-huh. and also the historic New Orleans collection loaned the Jules Kahn and the Michael Smith photographs, and then the his, I'm sorry, the Jazz and Heritage Foundation had the work of Eric Waters and John Messina, which are also in the exhibition. Eric Waters' name uh, rings a bell. He's an amazing photographer, one of the very best uh, photographers. Eric Waters, and Mm -hmm. he was from New Orleans, and his house flooded in Katrina. Oh, my God, did he lose a lot of his work? He lost his house, and then he uh, lost a lot of his work, and Uh. he's now living in Atlanta. But he's exclusively the photographer for the black men of labor and he's done a lot with the young men olympian but he's uh, published several books and he's he's just an amazing photographer mm-hmm. well that's so and that's at the jazz and heritage festivals gallery that's on rampart street yeah 1205 mm-hmm. rampart street mm-hmm. and that is open through december 16th and it's open monday through friday Tell me, you, you've you've both witnessed, um, and, and it's it's not that long a period of time from '08 right. uh, to now, but nonetheless, uh, it's a it's a time of fairly dramatic change in right. the art scene in New Orleans. How, how do you characterize it? And how do you feel about it? Um, well, a or b, I get excited. Um, but we came here in 2008, and um, I've lived in a lot of other cities um, as an artist. But I'd say that New Orleans was the one, even as we came here, that seemed to be in a way, the most rich and interesting for communities. And um, since that, since being here, um, I've really had the opportunity to get involved in a number of great communities. Um, uh, I, I was a, um, uh, a year-long resident through the Joe Mitchell Center, um, and, um, and in, in parts of the way that they put that program together, I was part of the pilot year for uh, the New Orleans Local Artists um, Grant. And the, the, diverse, the diversity of the group itself that they put together really kind mm-hmm. of showed in some ways what their kind of how they had their feelers out to the community and trying to build things. But um, I got to know through that just a variety of different artists who were working in with different communities that they all kind of brought their community interests in with them. And, mm-hmm. you know, all these communities then tend to overlap in really interesting ways. But sort of the more, the longer I've been here, the more I sort of notice this kind of um, not a um, sort of an unnecessary multiplication of communities, but there just tends to be now this dense layering of overlapping communities. Um, I, after um, Joe Mitchell, I became part of a artist cooperative in the St. Rock neighborhood staple goods gallery and we work on a lot of very different projects together mm-hmm. but curating um shows of other people and also mm-hmm. featuring our own work too yeah i've been in the stable goods uh, gallery quite a bit myself yeah. and um really appreciate uh, uh the kind of work that they've mm-hmm. been showing and doing there and and really st rock I, I forget the name of the gallery um that was right next to it uh, a few doors down that has cl- since closed oh, but 
Home, home space. Home space. Right. Yeah, I loved right. home space too. They yeah. were they were both really terrific, and and uh, and really, uh, it's just amazing how much the arts have been mm-hmm. a part of the revival of neighborhoods. Right. This, the only scary part is that sometimes that revival Leads goes to, a little too yeah. far. Next thing you know, you have gentrification, mm-hmm. and next thing you know, gentrification is pushing people out because the prices of things go up. It's such a dilemma. Mm-hmm. It really is. But in the meantime, it it's, it's definitely is something that's enriching our city. Right. I, I'm fascinated about the um, interplay between the new the new art folks coming to town and our cultural legacy and our traditions and and Charles there you are out there shooting uh, the uh, second line folks and this is this is heart and soul of the legacy of the city and yet of course you're producing new work and working with new artists uh, uh, give me your take on this this um, juxtaposition of the uh, the traditional uh, folks in the legacy and the native uh, artists here as well as the younger newer people coming in well I think you know, definitely there's room for everyone out there, but I think that, you know, um, it was interesting the uh, Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities had this program in the last year for photographers who were photographing the cultural community, and they had a symposium, and there were like over a hundred people at that program, and I just, you know, I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there that are photographing the culture bearers. And the thing is that I personally try to be extremely sensitive and honor the the culture and want to be accepted. And recently I've gotten introductions to the, more of the clubs and I've started giving them photographs and they seem really appreciative of that. Uh, and I think I think that's so important. Uh, we we do that too in the, the River House uh, Crevasse yeah. 22 project. We did a recent a show of portraits of people from Saint Bernard, mm-hmm. and our artists gave photographs to every one of the subjects. I just think that's so important that right. they participate in it and and, and uh, mm-hmm. get something out mm-hmm. of it too. Mm-hmm. But uh, there are a lot of new artists coming to town, and I think that makes it exciting. I mean, uh, I've, I always like having new people and a new perspective, and I embrace them, but I'm only somebody who's lived here for a decade, whereas maybe there's some other New Orleans artists who are generational who wouldn't want, you know, too many artists coming here. But I don't hear, I don't hear the artists concerned yeah. about it so much. It's, it's people who live in the neighborhoods mm-hmm. And, and watch the escalation of the prices, right. both in terms of rent and taxes and insurance and all of that. Um, I, I think that's where a lot of the concern lies. And, it, and it's a concern that has to be addressed and hasn't been yet. And I keep looking for models elsewhere in other parts of the country where they've resolved this. And, and I, I haven't come across them yet. It's an unresolved, mm-hmm. unaddressed issue. Of course, there's so many other really dramatic mm-hmm. things that we have to deal with out there. But that's, that's one of the ones that mm-hmm. we have to deal with. One of the things that I've noticed about the younger folks who are coming in here from elsewhere, not just younger, but of all ages, I mean, we're not exactly in this room. Babies, <laughs> but um, they have an appreciate. They come here with a an awareness and an appreciation of the local culture. You know, as a as a New Yorker, everybody comes to New York to be part of the art world. But they come with their own ideas, and then they see the ideas of other artists, and it's all sort of 
new. Everything has to be new. Here, I feel that the artists who come here, they come with their own ideas and experiences and, and uh, genres, but then I, I look around and they are, are definitely embracing mm -hmm. and including the influences of the traditional culture here in their work, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, I would uh, say that is true. That there I is mean, they're not just coming in here and doing New York artwork. Right. You know I, what I mean? I think the models are really different, too. And I'm, I'm from New York originally, and my, I had a chance to be in a resident in New York again recently through a program. And I was just really struck by how top-down the entire model is. And you're really, everything on that, in the New York art world, that I, at least that I was kind of a part of at that point, it seemed like it, it's just sort of mirroring those sort of larger, you know, and, and kind of financial um, structures. And I think that here things are a little bit more bottom-up. There's, I didn't, I don't street. get feeling it, that, The yeah. street is so powerful yeah. that it, it really, and it, um, and it, There's yeah. just not one sort of, Dominant model, um, you know, and well you said. Know, in, in part mm -hmm. we just don't have it in place, and that could be a good thing for us now as we as we grow. Absolutely, we're just about out of time, and I so I want to come uh, circle <coughs> back to um, uh, the show. Uh, it's called Voices of New Orleans. Um, it's been up at the Myrtle Banks building on the third floor now for almost a month. It closes this weekend. Thank you. And Friday night is a party night. It is um, it is our first Friday in Central City, so there's lots of things that are open mm -hmm. on O.C. Haley Boulevard, lots of places to drink and have fun and come up to the third floor of the Myrtle Banks building at 1307 O.C. Haley Boulevard and see the work of the Lovells and about... I don't know, 25 other artists. Many, many. It's, it's a pretty yeah. big show. Um, thank you all very much for being with us again today. And uh, next Wednesday, Crosstown Conversations, this is Gene Nathan. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you, Gene.